Good morning, everybody. If you got your Bibles, we in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 12. When you get there, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you, God, and we praise you for being God. Help us to truly concentrate on you, Father God, to center our hearts upon you, to hear you, God, to truly listen and find your voice in the words that you've inspired, Father God. Give us the grace to live it. Give us the grace to understand it, God, and help us to love you and love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Proverbs, I mean, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Last week, we went through the first two chapters, our chapter and a half of Ecclesiastes. And the writer started us on his journey. And it was a journey of him trying to prove and understand why he say that life is vanity. Our life is nothingness. Life is meaningless. Life is a vapor, just a smoke. Something that's deceptive and that will quickly go away. And in this opening, he gave a couple of points that shows us why it is that he holds to this idea of vanity. And the first thing he posited that makes everything vain, that makes everything nothingness, he said life is full of work that doesn't seem to go anywhere. Talked about the sun going up and the sun going down. The river's running into the sea, but the sea never being full. The wind blowing towards the south and turning back. And it's like this continuous cycle. Just work, just work, and that's just work for the work's sake. That doesn't seem to go anywhere. It's like that makes life a little vain. It doesn't seem to be any point. It doesn't seem like we're progressing towards anything. Then he goes and he told us a couple of things that he tried and he tested to find meaning in life. That's a couple of questions that we're trying to answer going through this. What's the profit that we get from all this work? What is it that that's worthwhile that we can get and what's the good thing that we can do in the midst of all this work is these two questions that he's trying to answer and he said he tried wisdom that didn't get him anywhere because the more he learned the more depressed he got and he said he tried to have fun and, and, and get drunk and then indulge himself in all earthly pleasures like that didn't get anywhere that that was fruitless then he said he tried fame being greatest amongst all everybody in the world. That didn't get him anywhere. He tried wealth. He accumulated silver. He accumulated gold and great treasures from all over the world. Like, that was vain. Tried women. So he got women from all over the globe. Multiplied them. So that was vain. So everything, all the endeavors that he went on, all the things that we fill our lives with, he came to the conclusion that all of these things are equal to nothing. And he's still asking the question of what is worthwhile under the sun? What is it that we can do that has any benefit, that has any good to it, that brings any meaning to life? And that's where we meet him at now, still on this journey of what is worthwhile. Because he looked over everything he did, all the wealth, all the money, all the, the power that he accumulated, all the wisdom that he got. And he said it didn't benefit me anything. And now we meet him in the middle of his journey in verse 12. And he said, I turn myself to behold wisdom, madness, and folly. So he's looking at these three things again. Wisdom, 
madness and folly. For what can the man do that cometh after, after the king, even that which hath already been done? So he turned to pay attention to these things. So he's looking at them, going back. And the first couple of times he, he went in it, he indulged in it. But now he's reflecting back on it. I turn myself to behold him, witness, madness, and folly. And he asked this question, what can a man do that comes after the king? So the person who succeeds the king, the person who succeeds the one that has the most power, the most wealth, like what can they do? And the answer to that question, really nothing. Everything they do is what has already been done. Like we look and you just go through history. Egypt is a good place because they still got a lot of good records. Every king that rise to power build a great building and put his name on it. And you just got all these monuments around over and over again and it's their stamp that they did something great. Or they go on a journey and defeat foes and they did something great. But it's the same thing that the king did before you. And he's saying there is nothing that you can do that can separate you from everybody else. Go ahead. Uh Uh-huh. It's like you can only do what has already been done. So that don't make you that great. And it's the thing that he's getting to. And now he's starting to turn on himself like, hold up. like I'm not great. Then in verse 13, I saw that wisdom excelled folly as far as light excelled darkness. So he's reflecting back on all the things he went through. Like, I know I can't do nothing different than already been done. So any of my endeavors don't cause me to be that great. And now that I'm looking back, I see wisdom and I see folly, a madness, foolishness. I recognize wisdom is far greater. Wisdom goes far beyond foolishness. That seems to be a very obvious statement. Then he explains why. It said, 14, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceive also that one event happened unto them all. So wisdom is far greater than foolishness because the wise man's eyes is in his head. That's an idiom. That's a way of saying that the wise man, he recognizes. He can see. He know where he's going. He knows and understands what's going on in life. So when he moves, he navigates. He, he can do life better than the foolish man because of this ex- excellence that he had, that is wisdom, that gives him sight. But the foolish man, he walks around in darkness. He's not aware of what's going on. He's stumbling. He's moving about. There's nothing to help him navigate life. He's like, that's the thing that makes wisdom go beyond foolishness. But then he comes to this thing. He said, but I recognize that one event happens to both of them. So I see a wise man is better than a foolish man, but the same thing happened to both of them. And that's going to lead them to a downward conclusion in verse 15. Then said I in my heart, as it happened unto the fool, so it happened even unto me. And why was I then more wise? Then said I in my heart, this also is vanity. It's like, so I'm recognizing wisdom is better. Foolishness, you in dark, you stumbling. So, but one event happened into the mall. And I recognize that there's something about me that's better than the foolish man, but that thing about me don't put me in a different place than the foolish man. We both meet up at the same spot. And so what's the point of my wisdom then? He asked this question. Why should I be wise 
if I'm going to end up in the same spot as the foolish man. Like, this is vanity. And that, that seems to be an odd statement because we know the end of the book. But his guy, he's looking at life from how? Under the sun. And he's just making observations. And if we be honest with ourselves, most of us has had a very similar thought. Like you see the foolish man, he going off, he doing his thing, he's indulging, he's just living it up. And sometimes it might seem like he's prospering in what he's doing. While you being strict, you being rigid, and you trying to get your life right, and you trying to do it the right way. But things don't seem to get any better for you than they do for him. And the Solomon saying it's the ultimate better. Both of us meet at the same place. It's like, so why am I doing this? And this is another question that he comes to. Like, there's no profit. The more I learn, the more stress I get. The more I learn, the more grief I get. But I know it's something better, but I just can't see it because we end up in the same spot. So what is that thing about wisdom? Why be wise if you're just going to end up like a fool? And he goes on and explains what he means in verse 16. Said, for there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever, seeing that which is now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how died the wise man? Just like the fool, or as the fool. And this is the point that brings him down. Like there's coming a time where the wise man and the fool, they both going to die the same. Death doesn't discriminate. And he's saying this is what makes things vain. And so he adds to this thing of, of vanity and these ideas. Life is a continuous cycle. It just work. It just work. And it don't seem to go anywhere. And in the midst of that work, what you put out, the reward that you get back doesn't seem to be equal. Like that makes life vain. And then we just repeating things that went on before and we just don't even realize it. So we keep doing the same things that everybody before us have already done, but we think we're doing something different. Like that makes life vain. Then it goes and like it all ends with death and death doesn't discriminate. So why in the world or what in the world should we pursue? And this is the point that he finds himself at. Everything I pursued, everything I went back over, I thought I found something that was better and that was wisdom. But is it really better since we die just the same? And this is a, a, a crux point that we tried to get to. And I just want to let it sit there for a minute to understand that death does not discriminate. And there's nothing that you can do on this side of the planet that makes your death any different. And he said the wise man is forgotten just like the fool. Like there's going to come a time where all of us just, we don't know. Like I can't recall, I can't tell you any story about my great-great-grandma. I don't know if she was wise, I don't know if she was fool, I don't know what she did. Only way I know she existed is because I'm here. And what he's saying is just, this life is trail. People did things. People done wise things. People done great things. People done foolish things. We don't know them. The wise man that lived way back here a long time ago, we have no idea who he was or what he done. The fool that lived in this place a long time ago, we have no idea who he was and what he done. Both of them died just the same. 
And that's what Solomon's point is. And so he comes to this conclusion that ends him in a result. And it's going to send him into a little bit of depression. In verse 17, said, therefore, I hated life because the work that was wrought under the sun is grievous unto me for all its vanity and vexation of spirit. Like, so the, the end result that I got from this is I started despair of life. Me and life wasn't, wasn't cool no more. Because I thought that I was getting something, but I didn't get it. I thought that I was going somewhere, but it didn't lead me anywhere. And it pushed me down. It's like, so Solomon, he got down in the dumps. It's cause he, cause he couldn't see anything through his evaluation, through his looking. He couldn't recognize anything that brought meaning or brought value to life. So he ended in despair. It's like because it's just full of work all under the sun. And it's hard. It's grievous. It's exhausting. And it's chasing after the wind. And in 18, he keeps going down this road. He said, yeah, I hated all my labor, which I had taken under the sun. And he add to this. Now, this is what makes it a little bit deep. This brother going down. So he's in despair. And now he's saying, I hated all my labor. And the way that he used this word labor now is the end result of his work, not just his work. So in 17, he was just talking about work, period. But now in 18, he's talking about the end result of his work. It's like I despise all my labor, which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto a man that shall be after me. Like I'm, I don't work hard. I'm going to work hard. In all of these things that I accumulated, all of the long list that we ran through in verse two, I mean, chapter beginning of chapter two, like I did all this stuff and I'm going to die and everything that I did, I'm going to leave to somebody else. Like this, 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 this ain't foul. This makes me upset. And this brings me to the mind of Jesus when he was speaking in Luke chapter 12. And some brothers came to him asking Jesus to dispute for them on who going to inherit and how they're going to split up the inheritance. And Jesus brushed them off. They got a little bit upset, but then he taught this parable. And he said that there was a rich man who labored all of his days and he accumulated much wealth. He had a bounty. And he looked back over everything that he made and he's like, I have more stuff than I can hold. So what I'm going to do is build me big barns and build me big houses to store it in. It's like the man built big barns and he built big storehouses and he stored all of his stuff that he accumulated. Great man, wealthy man, and now he was ready to sit back and relax. And in the parable it says, then God spoke to him. That's just I like the way Jesus tells that story. So he let this dude get all this stuff. He let this dude do all this work to build the barns and get everything ready. Then God spoke. Once dude stopped working, said God spoke. And he asked him a question. More than asked him a question, he made a statement. He said, you fool. Tonight your soul going to be required of you. Now whose stuff is going to be? And that's the, 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 the statement that Jesus, the parable that he told to warn those brothers against covetousness. And it's the same lesson that, that the writer ran into here. He hit this point where he got greatness and he got wealth, but he recognized something. The same thing that 
Jesus said God brought to the attention of that man. And I like the way Jesus told the story because he said once God spoke and interjected, he said, open it. Is you fool. Which brings us back to the most dominant use of this word fool is where? These two books that we've been reading. So once God interjects and called this man a fool, his mind should immediately go back to Proverbs, to Ecclesiastes. And he get this center point of this same thing that he is teaching here. And so Solomon here has came into this point and he ran into this wall, the same wall that Jesus tried to introduce them brothers to. So Jesus gave it to them and they listened without all the hard work. Solomon worked to get there and he worked to find this conclusion. In 19, he keeps going. And he said, who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored and wherein I have shoot myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Like the person who coming after me, whose stuff this going to be, I don't know what type of person he going to be. I didn't use wisdom to accumulate it and I didn't work hard to get it to where it is and I'm going to give it to somebody who I don't know what type of person they're going to be. Like this is vanity. This is vain. I done built this thing all the way up and made it great. Made it to the thing that I wanted it to be. Just to leave it to somebody who don't know how to handle it. Who didn't do what I did to get it. So I don't know if they're going to be able to maintain it or make it grow or what. And this is our life is filled with this. It's just go down through history. It's riddled with stuff like this. Like the founder of Coke. He worked hard to invent Coca-Cola. His brother invested his life into inventing Coca-Cola. But none of us give him credit for inventing Coca-Cola. Because in the midst, once he finally got his breakthrough, he died. (laughs) But he died. And his wife and son inherited. And a shrewd businessman came. And if history, the way they tell the story is true, he showed up on the day of the funeral. And bought out the rights. Bought out the formula. For pennies on a dollar. Because he knew what it could be. Mother, son. They didn't know what it was. They knew their daddy just gave his life away working hard on something. And. They were in a spot. Because he worked so hard on that. That he ended in debt. And he died and left them in a hole. And they couldn't do nothing with it. They didn't know science and chemistry and how to put together soda. So all of his hard work was for the benefit of a shrewd businessman who get credit for building one of the biggest drinking empires this globe has ever seen. And all he do knew how to do was pay some money for the right thing. Why the man who did the hard work, the lead work, Name is forgotten in history. And all of his labor has been given over to somebody else. And that's the thing that Solomon is talking about. I work hard. I work real hard. But now I'm realizing I'm working hard for somebody else. And somebody else going to benefit from my hard work. So what's the point to me? That's the question that he's asking here. In 20. said, therefore, I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. This, this, this took the brother down. It put him in the dumps. Like, therefore, I, I, I started hating everything that I done. 
because I did it for somebody else and I don't even know what they're going to do with it. So what's the point? Verse 21, for there is a man who labors in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity, yet to a man that hath not labored therein shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and a great evil. So there's somebody who work in wisdom, somebody who, who heaps up knowledge and, and put it to practice and make benefit out of it. Somebody who develop a skill and does things the right way. That's what he means in equity. He does it the right way. He does it with wisdom. He does it with knowledge, with skill, and he get it just to leave it to somebody else. Solomon's like, this, this, is, this ain't right. And it's the cry that we hear from our children all the time. What is that? This ain't fair. And that's what Solomon said. This, uh, this, uh, this ain't fair. And I don't like this. <laughs> that's good. I had to break mine from him. <laughs> and that's what he's saying here. Like, this ain't fair. This is vanity. And he adds, this is a great evil. Like, no. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> like, that, this, this is bad. And in 22, he said, for what hath the man of all his labor in of the vexation of his heart, wherein he hath labored under the sun? For all his days are sorrow, his travail, grief. Yea, his heart taketh no rest in the night. This also is vanity. It's like, so what is the point? What do I get? Because all my days is full of pain and all my travail or all my work is exhaustion. And it work and it work and it says heart takes no rest in the night. I work to the point where I can't even sleep at night. Like what's the point? This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. So he's multiplying these vanities. He's saying it's vanity that we have to keep on working and it's just a repetition of everything that's been going on. Like it's vanity that we can indulge ourselves in pleasure and all you get out of pleasure is a momentary piece of enjoyment that doesn't produce anything. And like it's vain because you can be great and you can sell, but you're still going to die just like the other people who didn't do what you do. It's like, and if you do excel and do great things, you're going to die and leave everything you accomplished to somebody else. Like this is vain. It's like then there's some people who work so hard they can't even sleep. And they working that hard for somebody else who's going to benefit from all their hard work. Like, no, this, 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 this is meaningless. What do we get? I got a life full of pain, full of work, full of trouble, and don't get nothing in return. Like, what, what's, what's the point? And that's the place that we find him in. And he, and he goes and he, now he makes a turn in verse 24 and he begins to conclude this section. He said, there is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that he should make his soul enjoy good in all of his labor. This also I saw, that it was from the hand of God. So he makes a turn here, and he gets some revelation. Like, there's nothing better for a man. And what he's saying is the same question that he asked. What is that good? So he's saying, there's nothing good for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that he should make his soul enjoy the good of his labor. So the good thing that he didn't recognize and he didn't saw is that a man should work. Partake from his work. That's to eat and drink and enjoy it. And that enjoy it is a tricky word there. It really could be better stated as to pay attention to or to recognize the good of all his labor. So he gives a picture that we could work and receive from our work and recognize the good in our work. He's like, this is from the hand of God. 
This is something that God puts on us. This is a work that God can do that can allow a man to work in the midst of a vain thing, receive something from his work that can satisfy that he eats and he drinks and recognize good in that work. Like that's from the hand of God. And this is something that we need to take note of because it is something that a lot of people struggle with. When we look back over our lives and we think, and even here on the other side, when we ain't looking like the writer, like Kohelet here, with the divine revelation of everything that's going to come, sometimes we get in the place of despair and we question the meaning of our lives. Like, man, I'm only doing this. And all I'm doing is doing this. Like, am I fulfilling my purpose? Am I achieving my goals? Am I enriching my life? Am I truly honoring God? And what he's saying is, is there's a work that a man can do that he can receive satisfaction from it. And God has a gift where he can allow him to see good in it. That it's possible for a man to work hard, to grow up, to have dreams and have ambitions to be great, but end up just being the man who sweeped the poop up at the parade. And enjoy it. And see good in it. And to have a place of contentment from that work. It's like, but this is from the hand of God. People ain't going to get this. This is not something you achieve through work. Like, this is from the hand of God. So the ability to enjoy, the ability to see and to recognize the good from my labor. It's like, God give us this. And if you ever, if we ever find ourselves at that point where we don't see our lives, we don't see our work, we don't see our daily getting up as being anything beneficial, as being anything that, that adds value, adds meaning to, to those around us, to ourselves, or to God in the kingdom. That's the place where we don't get in despair and go down. We could talk to God because the only way that we can see good in our labor is from God. It's like, this is from the hand of God. Like, I recognize this. This is what I saw. That God gives some people the ability to enjoy. And this is the thing where he's starting to make a little turn. In 25, he said, for who can eat? Or who else can hasten here unto more than I? Like, who can heap up? Who can bring in and have something to pull in more than I? And he continues to go, said, for God give it to a man that is good in his sight, wisdom and knowledge and joy. Like, so this is what God does. Wisdom, that thing that makes you excel, God gives it to you. Knowledge, the thing that you need to produce in your work that he talked about, that he utilized to get his greatness. He's like, God gives that to you. But he not only gives you the ability to excel and gives you the ability to produce from your work, but he said God gives joy. This is from the hand of God. And I like the way that he left it open because what form of work did he specify? None. It's like all of the labor that I partook under the sun. And he said his goal was to investigate everything that man do. So in all the works that man do, Wisdom, knowledge, the ability to excel at them, to be great at them. He said that comes from the God. And along with that, God gives joy. The ability to enjoy it, the ability to have rejoicing in it, in the midst of all this vanity, in the midst of the despair. Like this comes from God. But in verse 26, the sinner, he giveth travail. 
to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. So to the man that is good in the sight of God, he gives wisdom and knowledge and the ability to enjoy. It's like, but to the sinner, he gives work to heap up, to bring it in, so that one day God could take it and give it to somebody that God delights in. Like, this is vanity and vexation of spirit. So the only way that you can enjoy life and enjoy your work is if God gives you the gift. But if you're a sinner, the only outcome for your work is not joy, but God taking it away from you and giving it to somebody else. It's like, this ain't right. This is vanity and vexation of spirit. And this is how we transition. And now we're finna meet another thing that makes life a little bit more vain. And we going y'all, y'all with me right now. So we got this thing, he going on the journey, he went down, but he came up a little bit. He got a little head. But what's the only thing that lifted him up? God. He had to see something other than what was just being seen on this planet. He had to get from up under the sun to recognize there's something greater going on than just what I'm seeing. And the only way that we can enjoy this is through God. Then he goes with this beautiful poem starting in the stop, top of chapter 3. said, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he labored? So he gives this long poem and he ends with a question. So in this poem you see that. Anybody catch the pattern of it? What's the pattern of the poem? Time. We got the repetition of time. And it's another. Yeah. So he got this continuation of time. That's the one thing that runs all the way through it. And he used the parallel of opposites. So when he starts from birth, like it's a time to be born, but it's also a time to die. It's a time for you to sow, but it's also a time for you to gather it in. It's a time for you to tear stuff up, but it's also a time for you to put stuff back together again. And so everything has an opposite. And what he's saying is for every activity and for every work there is, there's a time for it. Everything has its own time. And by time here, he used the word as a season, a place to where it's supposed to be. Like there is a time for all the things that's supposed to be done. So since there is a time for everything and everything has its moments and everything has the place that it's supposed to exist in, he asked the question, so what is the profit of all man's labor? And it's, it's a very deep question that he's going to expound and get it on, but it's deep coming off this contrast of time. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and that's the, that's the thing that, he, that, that, that creates the question of what's the profit. Because if everything has a time, and if there's this contrast in seasons that go back and forth, that means it's going to be a time where I'm on top. And it's a time where I'm going to prosper. But it's also going to be a time where I'm down. Where times ain't quite going well. 
So if I'm going to experience both of them, what's the point? That's what he's saying. Like there's going to be a time where everything's going good. Where I got health, I got strength, I got vitality. But there's also going to be a time where I'm doing bad. Where there's sickness, where there's hurt, there's pain, there's grief. Like so if all of these things have their season and it seems to move in this cycle and I can't control the cycle, what's the point? So what am I really getting? Because I'm going to get all of it. That's that's the question that he have, asked. Like, I'm going to get it all. I'm going to win a game and I'm going to lose one. So have I really won? I'm going to beat people and people are going to beat me. So did I really beat anybody? If everybody get beat, who's the winner? And, and that's the type of deal that, he, that, he, that he's wrestling with. So since all of these things go in cycles and all of these things keep going and there's a time for all of them, like, so what is the real profit? I can give my labor to fix up and to build my house and to get it together. And you know what? There's going to be a time when stuff breaks. <laughs> He's like, that's how it's going to happen. You can get a new hot water heater. But there's going to be a time where that new one be old. You could put a new timing belt on that thing. But there's going to be a time where it breaks again. And once you fix the timing belt, the, 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 the water pump go out. <laughs> and you get the water pump straight and your radiator have a hole in. Right. That's good. It's a time for all of it. So since that's how it is, like, what's the profit? But he goes on and he's going to stick with this time thing because it's, it's a very key. He said in verse 10, I have seen the travail which God had given to the sons of man to be exercised with. So I recognize this work, this exhaustion that God given to us to, to stretch us out, to exercise us, to work us. And in verse 11, he says, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. And this is the key to understanding this idea of what's the profit. It's like this time thing that, 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 that's continuous, that keep going on. He's like, God is the controller of it. And he has made everything beautiful in his time. And the idea is, is that every work that is done has a purpose. And it has a place where it belongs. So if we really want to do the works the way that they should be done, the thing that we have to know is what? When and how they should be done. Because there's a time for it. And God has made everything beautiful in his own time. And we can just think about this when you just use sin. Because sin is a perversion. It's a distortion. It's when we utilize something that God designs to be used one way in a way that he did not attend it. And what he's saying is, God made this thing. He made it beautiful. He gave it a purpose. And there's a place for it. When you take it from that place, you're fighting against the hand of God. That's what creates the ugliness. And that's what gets you out of kilter with this continuous cycle of time. God made everything beautiful in his own time. And there's a time for everything that we do. So everything that we do has a purpose. So the thing that we need to understand is not can I do this, but what was the way God designed for it to be done? Because that's the only way we can see the beauty of it. Y'all understand that? Everything has its own purpose. Everything has its place. And we have to live in harmony with what God made 
and use things the way that he intended it for it to be used. Because if we take it out of his time and out of his purposes, it becomes some ugly. It becomes some dangerous. It becomes something that's destroyed and something that creates hardship. Because everything is beautiful in its own time. When it's in its time, if God the one who, who's the maker of the time, we have to understand him. And for a lot of it, the bulk of it, he tells us. He, he, he gives us the place that these things are supposed to take place. And then there's other places where we have to learn from relationships. Just give you uh, just an easy one. Is sex good or bad? It's a good thing. What you think, Jordan? Is sex good or bad? It's good. Can it be bad? When? <laughs> when you use it <laughs> out of the way it's supposed to be used. So there's a time for it. There's a purpose for it. Anything other than that time and that purpose, that's when it becomes bad. And that's the only thing that makes it abuse. Now, you can go overboard other things, but at the basis of it is when you're not doing it the way God designed it for it to be done. So you have a beautiful thing, but the thing that allows it to be beautiful when you use it in its time. Just even something simple. Our eyes and our ability to see. Is that not a good thing and a gift from God? Very blessing. It's a beautiful thing. Even the whole way that the whole thing works and automatic filters and all that stuff that God put on these things, it's, it's an amazing thing. But can we use them in a manner that's inconsistent with his purpose and then they be turned to a beautiful, I mean, a, a horrid thing? You think that's possible? To use your eyes wrong. That is. It's because there's a way that God intended for it to be done. And we use our eyes to enjoy the beauty of God's creation, but there's some things that it's not intended for us to behold. So if we take delight in and beholding, even though it's God's creation, He intended for you to behold it at that time and in that manner. So it's a distortion. Everything is beautiful in its time. So that's not a beautiful thing. Because God ain't set it up that way. And that's the thing that he's getting to. It's a time for everything, but God has made everything beautiful in his time. So we got to get on track with him to see the true beauty in creation. And we got to utilize it in the manner that he has it to see the true beauty of it. We can't just indulge in everything. Like I said, it's one of the things people have a problem with. Paul makes the statement. He said, God has given us all things richly to enjoy. That seems to be a very strong statement if you really think about that. That's a very strong statement. He's given us all things richly. So God got everything and he gave it to us in abundance. Why? So we can enjoy it. Like, hold on. That don't, that don't sound Christian. <laughs> like this. He just gave us everything and the sole purpose of him giving to us is for us to enjoy it. Not for us to save souls or for us to build a king. No, he said, God gave us all things richly to enjoy. Like, hold up. Like, no, uh, that ain't right. But what makes it unright 
is if you take that mindset, that means that we can enjoy all things however we want to. That ain't what he's saying. Everything that's here, God gave it to you for enjoy, but everything has a what? Purpose, a time, a use. So here he's opened us up to the beauty of all creation and connecting us with the same statement Paul made. Everything is beautiful. Everything here for our joy and for our indulgence and our pleasure. But there's a time. And so some people can take Paul's statement and say, man, I'm living up. God gave it all to ritually to enjoy. So God put five billion women on his planet. He gave them down here for me to enjoy them. <laughs> so I get as many as I can. I ain't finna cut God blessing short. <laughs> like, no, there's a time. Like, God made the coca leaf. So, God put the coca leaf down here for us to enjoy it. I'm finna enjoy it. Get high as a kite. But no, everything has a time. Everything has a purpose. Everything has a place. So, even though it's here, even though God created a lot of things, Paul said all things richly for us to enjoy, but he made everything beautiful in his time. And it's an echo of the same thing with Song of Solomon. He said, don't wake love before his time. Like, don't, don't get love stirred up before it's time. It's like, you post, you want to get love going. I'm like, nah, don't do it before it's time. Because if you get it going before it's time, it's not beautiful. It's a fire that cannot be controlled. It ain't a beautiful thing. Yeah. Like I said, that's what the song is about. It said love is a fire. But don't awaken it before it's time. Like, don't get that thing going when it ain't supposed to be going. Watch yourself, guard it, because everything is beautiful in its time. And he's going on, and he says, <clears throat> where am I at? Verse 11. said, also he has set the world in their heart, or set eternity in their heart, so that man can find, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to, to the end. So God has set eternity in them. Our God has set eternity in their heart. Our God has set the world, the expanse. And it's the idea of God set everything up in his time and he has injected it with this vast mystery. He put it inside of everything that he created. This, this mystery, this concept of eternity, this concept of an age that cannot be fully grasped. He's like, so, so that no man can find out the work that God made from the beginning to the end. And it's the idea of God set this whole thing up and he put a time in it and he ejected it with this idea of eternity so that we can completely grasp, grasp anything that God made. Yeah, I think about George Washington Carver when he talked about him trying to be a scientist and praying to God. It's like he prayed to God that God would give him the understanding of all of his creation. He's like God told him, now hold up. You won't be able to handle that. Then he said, he held up the peanut. Like, how about this? <laughs> and he said, according to his little testimony, that God said, you might can get that. <laughs> and that's the was the beginning of his research. Because he felt that God opened his mind up to grasp something in it. And even him, after all these things and all the, the, the stuff that he produced that's using that one little thing and all the understanding he got of it, he confessed that he still don't completely get it. And that's the idea that God has placed eternity in them. 
And that's this idea of the beyond that's built into everything that God has created. We cannot understand eternity, but we cannot conceive of existence without it. Because God has set it up that way. He's like, so that no man can completely comprehend the work that he has made. So what this does is it put us in a place of dependency. There is no autonomous man. There is no man who can just live this life on his own and go and figure everything out. Because God has set it up so you can't figure everything out. And even then you can't figure everything out. God didn't put this puzzle of time and purposes in it that you have to go back to him to live this life worth anything. Y'all understand that? And so Kohelet, he's starting to come out a little bit. But this also mystifies him. In verse 12, he said, I know that there is no good in them. But for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. So I'm starting to recognize something. So out of all the works that there is, all of the things that is profit, I recognize there is no good. There's no true benefit in them. But for a man to rejoice and to do good. So there ain't no real benefit other than to you to enjoy the things that you're getting into and to do good in your life. Like that's that's the only thing I can recognize right now. That's it. It don't seem to be nothing else beyond that. But where does this rejoicing come from? Who gives us the ability to enjoy? God. And what makes everything good? Doing it in God's time. So now he's putting us in a place where his eyes are moving a little bit. And he made this recognition that investigating all a man's work, it get me in a place where if I detach from God, I cannot truly enjoy life on this planet because everything is only good in its own time. And God is the only person that can give a man the ability to rejoice. So in verse 13, he said also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. So he's getting, he's making some moves, but this still don't seem to be Christian. Do that don't seem like no Christian thing. It's like, hey, Mr. Edmund, you're going to work hard. And God set it up that way that you're going to have to work real hard. And you know what? Most of the time you're going to be wasting your time. You're going to work real hard. You're going to get a whole bunch of stuff. You're going to lose some of it. And the stuff that you do keep, you're going to leave it to somebody who ain't going to care nothing about it like you do. And you're just going to die. But you know what? You need to eat and just enjoy the fact that you're working. <laughs> just do that. And that's God's gifts for you, man. You got that come from God. The fact that you can just work, eat, and enjoy. Now, that don't seem Christian. <laughs> we want some grander purposes than that. Like, <laughs> like you're going to be working. You're going to keep on working. And it ain't going to ever stop. So you might as well enjoy it. And you might as well pull some out of it that can fill you up. And your ability to pull something out of it that can fill you up and enjoy the task that you get, God going to give you that. So that's a gift from God. That seems to be a heavy statement, but it's one we need to meditate on. Because anytime we lose sight of that and think that any endeavor we go on can produce joy in us, we're taking things out of his proper time. I'll just give you a couple examples. What about the young lady growing up and she got her dreams? I'm saying 
She got David's bridal magazines all up under her bed. And she's dreaming of this grand wedding. And she's been praying for her husband and doing all these other things going on. And she think that she going to meet the man. He going to get this grand wedding. And life is all of a sudden going to be a Disney movie. She going to be the maid in Manhattan. Whatever. Just right. All them romantic comedies and everything just going to flower to this great thing. And then she going to have this great man that's going to fill her life with joy and babies and happiness. If she's pursuing that through these means, 11 times out of 10, what's going to happen? She's going to end up disappointed, mad at that man, frustrated with that man. And that man going to be that confused. He's going to be thinking everything good and everything dandy. <laughs> he show up one day and see us shopping in the mall with some dude. And he got to get confronted. Like, hold up. I wasn't never happy. Like, <laughs> wasn't it happy? <laughs> now we it's new technology now he gonna see the ring doorbell and that dude gonna be at the door like hold up that dude ain't got no UPS uniform on <laughs> because that thing marriage God made it but is it designed to make you happy is that what he made it for nah should you enjoy it Yes, but it was not designed to make you happy. The ability to be in it and enjoy it comes from where? God. And it's easy for us to lose track of that. And I like the fact that he drive this thing home to the point where it ain't Christian. Because Christian, we, we, we veneer over everything. And we don't let anything sit and let it to be hard and let it be rough and like you said you give them church folks that tell you them stuff especially like when you're young it's like man you see how you going marriage is a black I'm saying it's going to be hard it's just it. and they build it all the way down and I'm telling you, they stump you all in the ground make you think it's the worst thing in life you can do but then they end with but it's a blessing though <laughs> you got three yeah I got three kids oh yeah I remember my, my kids oh I bought them kids them day. and they go on they beat you all the way down with the end but they're a blessing though and they try to take off the steam. And what he's doing here, he, no, he letting it steam. It's going to be hard. He, he giving the real parental picture. Like, it's going to be times you wake up in the middle of the night. And that baby ain't going to go to sleep. And you're going to lay them down. You're going to think they sleep. You're going to try to sneak away. And them eyes, they're going to punk or look at you. Like, where you going? <laughs> and there's going to be times when you having a good time and you rock them and you're going to hear a little poop. But that thing shoot all out the size of them diapers. He, I mean, he painting the whole picture for you. The bad and worst picture that you can get, you're going to buy a new dress and that little skeet that's going to go all the way down. <laughs> you're going to be at church with a little skeet on your dress. <laughs> he paint the bad picture. But he's saying, you need to learn how to enjoy that. You need to learn how to recognize that this is hard. And it's full of all this trouble, but you need to learn how to enjoy it. But he asked, but the ability to enjoy it, that comes from God. So we hold on to both ends. Man, life is hard. 
It's going to be rough because it's going to go in cycles. Things going to go bad. But I can have joy long as I have who? Yeah. Verse 14. Because I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that man should fear before him. It's like everything God made going to always be. And can't nobody alter the thing that he has done. And it's like God does his work the way that he does it so that man can fear before him. So God does a work that the whole purpose of it is to produce the fear of God in man. That's deep. And just think about that for a second. And especially if we hit it coming off of the fact that what's the one of the works that God do? He just got done talking about. Giving us the ability to enjoy. And if you just let that sit for a minute and think about it. So if one of the things that God does is give me the ability to enjoy the mundane, the repetitious, the thing that seems to be hard and full of grief and exhaustion, and I can enjoy it. He said, that's a work of God that cannot be altered. And he does it so that men can fear before him. This puts me and my work in a position that I can bring honor and glory to God. Just simply by enjoying my life. Because Jesus told us, joy I give you. And what can't take it away from you? This world can't take it away from you. It's like joy I leave you. And this world can't take it away from you. Because that's what God has done. It lasts for how long? Forever. And no man can alter the thing that he has done. And he said he did it so that men can fear before him. So enjoying my labor, if being in the midst of hard times, being in this continuous cycle where I'm going to be underappreciated and not recognized, it's like if that's part of the thing and I can enjoy that, like that's a gift from God and can't nobody take that away from you. And if you got this gift, can't nobody alter it. And it's going to bring honor and cause men to fear before God. Because God does a work and the whole purpose of his work is to produce fear in the hearts of men. So we drive the hard realities of life home. We don't try to gloss over them. We don't try to take them away. We let them be what they are. We train our children. Life ain't fair. It ain't going to always be equal. Sometimes you're going to do the best and you're going to be the best. But other folks going to get the reward. That's life. Sometimes you're going to give your heart to help somebody. And they're going to become a great success off the hard work you've done. They're going to act like they ain't never knew you before. That's life. But God is in the midst of all this thing. And he's the ultimate one controlling all of these different seasons. So you hold on to him and you can ride this wave, all the ups and downs, and still have joy. Because what he gives, nobody can take it away. So even when they mistreat you, even when they overlook you, even when the bad thing comes, when the radiator get a hole in it, and when the car running smooth, you can still live a life of joy in the midst of this frustration because it's a gift of God. And no hole in your hose line on your car can take it away from you. No happen to make a decision. Do I get gas or do I get a sandwich? He said, you can make that decision with joy. That's just the season you in right now. The time to be home is the time to be full. <laughs> Verse 15 said, that which hath been is now, and that which hath already been, God required, and God required that which is, has passed. 
It's saying it's going back to where we started, this cycle. So that what's have been is now. So all the stuff that been gone before, that is what's going on. And that which is to be, so everything that's going to happen in the future, that's what already didn't happen. So the past is happening now and the future is happening now. So it's this continuous cycle. But he says, and God required that which is past. And he add this extra point into it. So God not only controls the season, but God has a requirement. There's an acknowledgement. There's a responsibility to God for everything that has already happened. So everything we do, we got to answer to God for it. In every season we go through, God is in control of it. So he adding, in this picture getting a little bit more bleak. And he turning his eyes off himself and they're going well. To God. And now the picture starting to make sense a little bit. But he's still holding on to the realities that he saw looking on this earth. And what he's saying, understanding these things are by God, don't erase them. It makes them make sense. Y'all understand that. So life's still hard. It's still crazy. And God being placed into the picture, don't erase that. It just makes it make sense. In verse 16, saying, moreover, I saw under the sun, the place of judgment. And he's turning back. Like I said, he's in a time of reflection. So he went back through his look of wisdom. And now in 16, he's looking back again. And now he's looking in the place of, of judgment or justice. In the courts, he said, moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. Now, this is something he's saying he recognized. So God going to require everything that happens, and everybody got to answer to God. He said, but I looked to the place of justice. This idea, he looked into the courts, to the judges, to the senators, to the people who make the laws. So you know what I saw over there? Wickedness. Like I said, Solomon's the writer. This was written like a thousand BC. And it's like, I was looking in the courts. I was looking at the senators. I was looking at the lawmakers. And you know what I saw there? Wickedness. And here we flash forward by 3,000 years. And when we look at our lawmakers, when we look at our senators, what we see? Wickedness. We see rapists. We see drunkards, we see thieves, liars, all of this stuff, adulterers. These are the people running our countries and making the laws and the people we look to for justice. Like I said, one of the strangest things I watched on the, on the tube was the lady on the divorce court. They said she had been divorced twice. And that just was the, the biggest irony to me. So you got here and you bashing people. And you got to see what you need to do. Like, hold on. You didn't do none of that? Not only did you not do it, you had two shots. And you missed both of them. But now you won't tell me how to shoot. <laughs> and that's irony. And that's what he's saying here. I looked at the place of justice and I saw wickedness. Then he said, I looked at the place of righteousness and saw iniquity. So the place where the priests are, the place where they're supposed to demonstrate how life is supposed to be lived. He said, I see sin over there. See wickedness in the place of justice and sin in the place of righteousness. And like I said, we flash forward 3,000 years. And how often do you run into the same thing? 
that you find out about your favorite preacher, your favorite gospel singer. And you're like, hold up. Something ain't right about them. I hear what they're saying. It's, it's, and I thought they were cool, but something ain't right. And when you watch their TV shows, the, the, the preachers of whatever, like, hold up. Like, this is what we put out? This foolishness. Ain't no difference between this and the housewives. And in verse 17, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there's a time for every purpose and for every work. So this is his outcome. It's like I look at the place of justice, I look at the place of righteousness, and I see sin and wickedness. But what I recognize now is God going to judge every work because God has created a purpose for everything. So God got a purpose for it. Everything that's going to be done. And if you're not in alignment with that purpose, God is going to judge you. Now his, 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 his vision is changing a little bit. Because if we would have been with him in chapter 2, he would have been saying, I saw wickedness at the place of justice. So going to the course of justice is vanity. But now he's saying, no, God going to judge it. So the folks who've been wicked, that's supposed to be just, and folks who supposed to be righteous and living in iniquity, God got a purpose for every work. And he going to judge it. So they're going to have to answer for it. In 18, I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of man, that God might manifest them and that might, they might see that they themselves are beasts. Now hold on, this thing's switching a little bit. So he recognized men and how they live on this planet. And it's like I, I, I saw this. And he was hoping that God may make it known and reveal it. That regular men might see you ain't nothing but a beast. Like you just an animal. Now that don't seem Christian. Let me say that about us. Like I hope God show you this. You just a beast. And he explains in verse 19, he said, For that which befallet the sons of men befallet beasts. Even one thing befallet them. As one died, so died the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man have no preeminence above the beast, for all is vanity. Like when you boil it all the way down, the dog die and you die. So when it comes to life and death, you ain't better than a dog. He's like, I hope God show you this. That don't seem to be, what you think about that? That don't, that don't seem to be Christian right now. <laughs> that's, a, that's a strong statement, but let it hit now. That's his argument. Pay attention. Like, I hope God let you see. You gonna die, the dog gonna die. So when it comes to life, you know better than a dog. And I hope God let you see this. And it reminds me of the words of the psalmist. Like God, teach me to count my days or the number of my days that I may learn wisdom. And the thing is, is that we, if we recognize the brevity or the shortness of our lives, it's like that'll teach you something. You know, most young people know that they're going to die, but don't believe that they're going to die. That's just reality. Ain't that true, Judge? <laughs> you just can't conceive of yourself as being anything other than strong. Yeah, and I say, most young people know that they're going to die. But they don't believe that they're going to die. <laughs> I know, that's what I'm saying. Most young people know that they're going to die, but they don't believe that they're going to die. 
Because you can't conceive of yourself being anything other than strong, full of vitality. And that's one of the markers that hit people as they grow old. Especially the men. Once the testosterone starts decreasing. And, and the muscles start being, being filled with vitality. And especially if you had a skill that you could do something. And you have them Samson moments. Where you try to do what you knew that you could do. Your mind worked. But the body don't move the way the mind moves. In your mind you think I'm going to take off and I can cut like that. But you take off and you cut and your ankles stay there. <laughs> because, because you don't conceive of yourself as being anything other than young and strong. And that's what he's saying here. That's the point that he's driving to. That I hope God show you that it's death is preeminent. Death is something that's going to be there. And when it all said and done, you and that dog the same. Why are both of y'all going to die? Now he said he's very crude in his speech here. Like that don't seem nice. 20. He keep going on. He said all go unto one place. All are of the dust. And all turn to dust again. So he's looking at man as his most base state. You and the dog were made from the dust. You came from the ground. The dog came from the ground. You going to go back to the ground. The dog going to go back to the ground. You ain't number dust, he ain't number dust. That's all you are. It's like, and I hope God let you see this. This is you. Just a, a bundle of intricate, animated dust. That's the best we are. And it's gonna come a point where this dust gonna turn into ashes and sit in the ground. And that's what the best this body can do. Hold on, run for a little bit, then go to the human junkyard. We call it a grave. 21, he asked, who knoweth? Like, who can understand? Who recognizes? Who has comprehension of the spirit of man that goeth upward and the spirit of a beast that goeth downward to the earth? So he's, he's giving this picture. Both of you return to dust, but there's something we can't comprehend. Like, who knows this thing? That there's a spirit of a man that goeth upward. He said the spirit of a dog or the spirit of the beast. I keep talking about dog. That goeth downward to the earth. Like who who can who can grasp this stuff? So we all are just like animals in that we're going to die. But there's a spirit and there's another one. And there's a difference in the way our spirit moves after this event happened. It's like but who can truly grasp that? Yeah I know what you Read it for me. That's the way, that way they take. Cause the way it is, is translated is the question. So in the Hebrew, it sits. It's more like, who can grasp or who can understand? The spirit of man goes upward. Spirit of the dog goes downward. And that's how it sits. So the translator tried to make it make sense in English. If you read it just black, who can understand? Man, man's breath up, man, dog's breath down. And so what they're saying is they're trying to do it. And it's a couple of the new versions that does that. It's like, who know if this happens? Because they're just trying to fill in the gaps and make the crash Hebrew make sense there. Because he speaks in very poetic idiom. But the way that it is 
he, he phrased it, it's just straightforward. Who know? Man breath up, animal breath down. So they take it as who know if it does. And I just try to read it, understand, and take that know as to who comprehends. Who comprehends the spirit of man going up, the spirit of the dog going down? Who can grasp that? It's a slight difference in the idea, but the point is still the same. Yeah, them new, them new Bibles, me either. But I have to read them now because everybody else read them, so I need to know what's going on. <laughs> and try to understand how they get to the conclusions they get. But that's, that's the basis of it. So there's something that happens after death. It's like, who can grasp it? I was talking to an old supervisor one day. He was, grew up religious, but he really didn't believe. His wife gave all the money to the church, and that was a big deal to him. Like, man, she just, and for him, that's her money. <laughs> she gave her money to that church. But he asked a question one day. He was just talking about life after death. And he asked the same question, like, man, who really knows? Like, who can understand that? What really happens after death? And I played with him a little bit. It's like, man, you know what would be amazing? If somebody went there and came back and told us about it. Like, that would be an awesome thing. Like, would you listen to somebody who did that? It's like, I don't know. It depends on who it is. Like, I can understand that. Like, what if they was the greatest and most wise man that ever lived and they died and truly experienced death and then came back and told us what happened on the other side? Like, man, that would, that would be, that was, I, 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 I might, I might, I at least have to listen. Like, you ever heard of Jesus? He started laughing. Like, no, nah, no, nah, he don't count. Like, why not? Because he's the answer to this riddle. Who can get it? Who can grasp it? The only person who truly can grasp it is somebody who sees it and watches the whole thing. Who sees and watches the whole thing? The person who above the whole thing. We can't see it under here. We are dependent upon revelation to grasp. There's no observation that we can do to explain the existence of soul, the existence of life beyond just the physical. That's one of the hardest things to grasp. While you're dealing with atheists and folks who don't believe, one of the biggest deals for them to deal with, especially if they try to be atheists, is the existence of a soul. Most of them you're going to argue and say there isn't one. Because we can't explain it in a test tube. We can't explain a mind that continues to work after the brain is dead. Like we, we, that stuff don't make sense. And they have to get over all type of explanations. And that's the Question that he get into. There's some life that go on beyond the sun. Who, who can truly grasp it? And we're ended in this thing where he's making a, a closing, concluding mark. So wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better. So this is what I recognize. There is nothing better, nothing good than that a man should rejoice in his own works. For that is his portion. For who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? And this is concluding March. So after going through this whole journey and going through this whole cycle, like I recognize, there's nothing good. There's one good that I found, that a man should rejoice in his own works. And I like how he threw that in there. Why do you think he threw that in his own works in there? That 
That's 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 part. But one of the vanities that he ran into that made him depressed was what? Somebody else gonna benefit from all his hard work. And so he threw this in here at the, at the end. Like, I ain't got no better joy than a man should rejoice in his own work. So he talking to himself and who? The folks who gonna come after him. Like, it's not, this ain't the best thing for you to take joy in what your daddy did. And we see that and we have different respects for that. Just think about it, the folks we know, the heiress and the people who who they, they, they folks them built the great empire and left them a whole bunch of money. Which ones you respect the most? The one who take they folks good and live it up and enjoy life. Indulge and travel and, 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 and be an internet influencer. Just, that's just all they do. Are the one who inherit the business and build on it. The one who make Walmart continue to work and add their own little flavor to it. The one who just increase it. Or who take from their pops. They pops lead them in inheritance and build their own thing. Like, which, which one do you respect the most? Both of them got to where they are from the same place. But the one who can take what is given and do something with it is greater than the one who just enjoyed the thing that the other one did. And that's what he's saying. If you really want to experience true good, it ain't just having stuff and enjoy it. It's you doing something to produce the joy. Like, you rejoice in your own works. That's the good. It's like, and where does that come from? That's the gift of God. Said, for what is his portion? For who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? And it's the idea of there's an uncertainty that's going to come. So you work and you enjoy what you're doing because you don't know what tomorrow is going to be. Because life is on this cycle. You're doing good now. Everything going good now. But who knows that this whole economy ain't going to flip in two days. Don't nobody know. Can't nobody tell you that. Who to know that you ain't going to be that dude that Jesus would talk about in Luke 12. That the moment you get to the place that you were going for, that's when it's time for you to die. Like, you might, who knows? You're going to have a COVID moment. That could, you don't know. I guarantee you waking up that morning, he didn't say, I done just started my new business. I done just started to get experience and people starting to truly appreciate Kobe Bryant as Kobe Bryant. Most of his playing career, you love him or you hate him. Now everybody's starting to love him and everybody's starting to adore him and he done moved and transitioned and blazed a whole new path. The brother getting into building a, a television empire and he's right on the cusp of transitioning to being great at a whole nother thing. All that stuff. He right on the ledge of, of bursting up a whole new identity just to not make it past the morning. Like who? Who knows? That's what he's saying. So enjoy it. But we have to understand this from the full perspective. Because the world going to tell us you only live once. So you got to do what? Live it up. Live it to the life. Live it to the full. But the question we have to answer in order for us to truly do that is what is life for me to truly live it? I'm saying somebody asked me, man, I'm just trying to live my life. What is life? And how you know you're living it right? Because to every season, there is a time. 
And God made everything beautiful in his own time. And what he's saying is live it up. Enjoy. Work hard. Benefit. And enjoy that good. But understand that everything you do, you're going to have to answer for it. And the only way you can truly enjoy it, God give it to you. And everything truly enjoyed rightly is when it enjoyed is in it in its own time. So joy, live it up, man. Enjoy life. Have as much sex as you want to, but when? There you go. <laughs> go out there. Enjoy as much of the world as you want to, but do it how? Right. And do it with an understanding that once you get to that unknown place that you know is coming, you're going to have to answer for everything you did. That's the, that's the picture that he's putting us in. Live it. Work hard. Enjoy it. Get as much as you can because you don't control what's going to really happen. But no, in all your work and all your getting, you're going to have to answer for it. So you better get in line with the one who can allow you to enjoy it and enjoy it in the beautiful state in his own time. Anybody got any questions?